Good morning and welcome again. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. We're so glad to be able to worship together um, on our screens, yes, across the world, yes, but together as a family. Uh, this season we've been talking about not just, you know, the whole pandemic that's going on, uh, but trying to look at this season as a chance for us to grow. So our sermon series uh, the last couple weeks and probably continue for the next month or two is looking at this season as a growing season. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 says, you know, the Spirit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So our, our goal during this time is to say, how do we grow in this season and how do we grow in the fruit of the Spirit? In John 15, Jesus reminds us that, you know, he is the vine and his father is the gardener, and we are the branches. We as branches who are in Christ are reminded to remain in him, and the way we remain in him is by obeying his commandments. When we remain and obey the commandments of Jesus, we bear fruit. Remaining in Jesus also allows us to live by the fruit, and that living by the fruit of the Spirit produces fruit in our lives. The fruit is living and loving like Christ. The fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and us really growing in these things. So our question during this season is, you know, not just, you know, how are you doing in this new normal? How are you doing in this pandemic season? How are you doing with everything that's going on? But our question is simply this, how are you growing in the spirit this season? How are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? This morning we'll be talking about peace. You know, when we first started um, our, our online series, uh, I think my very first sermon was something like Shalom in the Season of Panic. And we learned that peace or shalom is all things being made right in God's eyes. And, and, and the, the whole purpose of that ser sermon series was to kind of ground us in this idea that, that we have peace with God already. In Christ we have peace with God. We who were sinners, we who were outside of the family of God, we who were so far have been brought near and now have access to God our Father. But also in Christ, we have peace with each other. God has called us to forgive like he's forgiven us. And you know, there's so much worse than we've done that God has forgiven. But I think I'm always reminded that scripture itself says that when we forgive, we look like our Father, which means that when we don't forgive, we don't look like our God and Father. We also have peace with, with creation. What I love is that Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says, you know, Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. And I think for us, it's this reminder that God is making things right. Though the world seems out of control, God is making things right. Though the, the creation itself seems to be screaming from all the pain we as mankind have inflicted upon it, God is making things right. And then the last one is that we can have peace with ourselves. So much of our minds, our bodies, our souls, so much of our culture, our society, our families, even ourselves deep down, we always look to see where we lack. But we can have peace with ourselves because God is our good shepherd in whom we lack nothing. So shalom then is this idea that we have peace, peace with God, peace with each other, peace with creation, and even peace with self. However, the call today is to say, how can we grow in this peace? And maybe a secondary question is, how can we be people of peace? If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 21 to 12. I'll be reading 2 Chronicles 21 1 to 12, starting at verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. 
Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom and from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You who rule over all the nations and kingdoms, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance, our God. Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let's pray together. Our Father, God, we thank you so much that the battle belongs to you. Whether it's war or plague or famine, whether it's insecurity or not knowing the future or not having control, Lord, we thank you that the battle belongs to you. We pray this morning and for the rest of our lives that we may be the path towards you, that we may call upon you, that we may remember who you are, what you've done, what you've promised, and what you're doing. But Lord, help us to always not focus only on what we don't know, but to always keep our eyes on you. In your holy and precious name, amen. So our, 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 our scripture for this morning begins in 2 Chronicles 20. What's interesting here is that we meet the, the principal character, if you will, outside of Yahweh God, the Lord God, is this guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the fourth king uh, in, of Judah. His father was Asa, and, and David was his great-great-grandfather, or I, three times, so great-great-great-grandfather. And I used to think that was a long time ago or really far apart, but then I just recently realized that two times, my great-great-grandfather was actually from 96 South Carolina. He was a black man in the South. You know, he earned his freedom. He wasn't like me. He wasn't a pacifist, but he fought in the Civil War. And after the Civil War, you know, we won. Um, but he was in the South in the Civil War for about 13 years, 12, 13 years after the Civil War, and still realized that it's too hard to be a black man in the South. So he sold everything everything that he owned, and he thought it was, it was easier to trust God and to sell everything and get on a ship and go all the way to the other side of the world that he knew nothing about rather than stay in the American South. So that's my great-great-grandfather who I now feel a closeness to. And, and so you can understand that Jehoshaphat walking in the line of David, it's only one generation more. So David was the greatest king of Israel. That's Jehoshaphat's great-great-great-grandfather. I have to keep counting so I get my greats right. You know, but the other thing about Jehoshaphat is 
is he comes in this line of Old Testament where names mean something. And they don't just mean something, but sometimes the names will, will kind of tell your plan for your life. And his name, Jehoshaphat, which might be a little weird to us. You know, we don't have a lot of Jehoshaphats running around. But his name means God is justice. And that's what his life was. His life was filled with so much justice. One of the things that he did is he actually taught up the priests and the scholars to go into the towns and all the places of Judah. Why? To teach the people about God's law. He set up courts, you know, um, everything from a local tribal court to, to their version of the Supreme Court because he wanted people to know that God is a God of justice and that they can go before someone who not only loved God, but someone who was going to bring justice. The last thing is he brought reforms. You know, part of God's law wasn't just obedience to God, but it was obedience to God that actually did the best for the people. So Jehoshaphat introduced reforms that would bring justice to his people. Jehoshaphat, God is justice. And his whole life can be summed up by his faithful witness. What's interesting about that is all of that justice and faithfulness is on one side of the story. The other side is the lack of justice, the lack of faithfulness that is kind of um, starts with David goes through Solomon, and Solomon's great sin actually breaks up the kingdom. You got the northern kingdom, uh, ten tribes, and then Judah, uh, the other, and Benjamin, I think, eventually joins in, but the other two tribes stay in the south, and that becomes Judah. But what's interesting, though, is that um, in scriptures, during this time, you have the, the book of First and Second Kings and the book of First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Kings, you need to, to, to read with, I don't say a grain of salt, but you need to read to know that this is history in its rawest forms. Whereas Chronicles, it's still history, but there's actually like some hope, you know. First and Second Kings is like, yeah, the people were bad. The kings are bad. They sinned. They sinned against God. Oh, my gosh, the people are bad, right? And Chronicles is like, the people are bad. They sinned. But every now and then, God is raising up people to do some good. So the whole job of the chronicler is to bring hope. And that's where our story comes this morning. So the story begins with, you know, war. And, and you have Moabites, Ammonites, Meonites. They're gathered and they're coming to strike little old Judah. Remember, Israel has now split. Judah is really two little tribes that have come together. And you have this global world alliance. What's fascinating about the Moabites and the Ammonites and Meonites, not only were they distant relatives, but as Jehoshaphat tells us in the passage, when God brought Israel back into the land, God told Israel not to touch them. So Jehoshaphat's alarm is that there's this worldwide alliance of all these powerful leaders coming against the city and coming against his little old tribe, his little old kingdom. But what I love is that even though war is very normal, you know, if you study history, if you study empires or countries like the one we're in, war sometimes defines the history of a country. War is very, very normal. So even though he's alarmed that everyone's rising up against them, it's still kind of normal because it characterizes people not just in the Old Testament, but even today. But because you have these armies camping and coming and marching close and close, you can see Jehoshaphat very afraid. You can see the people of Judah very afraid. So he calls a meeting and people send representatives from all the towns of Judah and they come in. And I love what they do. Alarmed. What a reminder to us, right? When we're alarmed, when we're scared, when we're frightened. The, the scripture in verse 3 says, alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. I love that. I love that whatever's going on, we are to inquire of the Lord. The, the Hebrew actually, you know, inquire. We're like, what does that mean? I grew up in Philly. When I think inquire, I think the Philly inquire is the daily news. It's like a, a newspaper, right? But what the scripture, what the Hebrew means by inquire here is this idea of beating a path to the Lord. 
You know, I, I grew up going to this camp, and, and Camp Iroquois is probably one of the places that, that formed me. But it's also like over, I think, 200 acres, you know? So it's like sometimes getting from A to B, if you went by the, the road that was designated that was made for cars, you'd have to go all the way around. And, and one of my favorite cabins was up on the hill. And to get to the bottom plains, you know, you had a bunch of trees, right? But we beat a path. So every summer was finding the new path because you could either go all the way around or you could take the shortcut. And the shortcut meant going down the hill and making our own path. And at, at the beginning of the summer, you'll see like it's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But by the end of the summer, I don't think the grounds people liked us very much. But by the end of the summer, we had beaten the path that it was a smooth, clear road. Why? Because we were familiar and it was every day that we did. So when it says Jehoshaphat inquires upon the Lord, this wasn't a first time thing. This wasn't just like we're in trouble, let's run to God. Jehoshaphat had made it his habit in being faithful to God of beating his path towards God, of going every day towards God. So he gathers the people, they beat a path towards the Lord, and then he says, everyone, let's go to the Lord to seek and ask for help. And then he prays what I think is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. And in his prayer, I think Jehoshaphat does four things. The first one is he said he remembers who God is. Look at some of the titles he uses for God. Lord God of our ancestors. So the first thing he holds on to is that God, you're not just the God of the now. You're the God of everything. You're the God of all the faithful people who've ever lived. And I love that because so many times we think about God's faithfulness. We think about maybe how he's faithful to me or how he's faithful to us now or how he's faithful to our family now. But he says, God of our ancestors. Jehoshaphat is resting not on David's laurels, but the fact that God has been faithful for generations. And he says, are you not the God in heaven? Are you not the one who rules over all the kingdoms, all the nations? It's power and might, not in your hands. Can anyone stand against you? He remembers who God is. And if we're going to be people of peace, if we're going to live in the shalom that God's already gifted us and blessed us with, we have to always remember who God is. No matter what your situation is, he's still the God who's been faithful for generations. No matter what you're going through, he's still in heaven listening to you on earth. No matter what seems out of control, he's still the one who's over all the kingdoms and the nations. Power and might are still in his hand. Nothing can withstand him. The second thing then he does is he moves and he recites God's resume to him. So it's not just, oh, you've been faithful to generations. He says, God, weren't you the one who called Abraham your friend? God, weren't you the one who, who, who gave us this land and, and told us to drive these people out and you gave it as our inheritance? God, weren't you the one who, who told us to build this sanctuary so that the, not just us, but the world can come and all the nations of the world can bless your name? God, we give thanks for who you are. Remember who God is. Recall God's resume. And there's one line in, in a, a different um, translation where Jehoshaphat's word reads as, God, you're the owner of our fate. And I love that. I love that because I think it's another way to ground us into being people of peace. It's to know that no matter what's going on, God is the owner of our fate. And then he goes and recites God's promises. You know, God, you gave us this land. God, you told us not to drive out these enemies. God, you told us to be faithful. God, you told us to, to, to give thanks to you and to, to build this temple so that people can praise you. God, you called us to this time. You told us to be faithful and you will be faithful. 
And then maybe I think I say this a lot, but this one I'm pretty sure it's true. This is probably my favorite prayer in all of scripture. It's very simple and it's very beautiful. And you see the thread throughout scripture. We've been talking about it, interestingly, for the last couple of weeks. This idea of keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on God. And I think Jehoshaphat is the first one to really introduce it to us. And he says it like this, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He has powerful armies all around him. He has people in his physical space all around him who are scared, who are frightened. He has destruction at his doorstep. He has unfaithfulness all around him. And yet he calls upon God and he simply says at the end of it all, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And I hope that's a prayer for all of us. That in everything we're saying, God, we may not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, the rest of the story is beautiful, too, right? God hears them. Um, the people are still gathered. They're having their praise and worship service. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a guy by the name of Jael, who always, you know, I always get his name wrong because it reminds me either of Jaleel White, who played Steve Urkel, so that's kind of funny, um, or Jael, who, or Yael, I think in the Hebrew, who was um, a, a judge and a, a prophet, and who saved Israel by using a spike and, and, and spiking someone. We'll put it that way, right? But this guy, no, he's a person of peace, you know? And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he gives this great word to all the assembly, stuff that I think we can hold on to. And he basically says this, the battle belongs to the Lord. Your job is to worship God. God is coming to deliver us. Just do your job of praising him. The battle belongs to the Lord. Your job is to worship God. God will deliver us. Keep praising God some more. And God does deliver his people. And as the praise and worship service is going on, you know what happens is the enemies actually turn on themselves and they end up smiting themselves and, and they destroy themselves without one person in Judah picking up arms to fight. And in fact, they, they so obliterate themselves that when Judah goes in to collect the spoils of war, it takes them three days to get everything that was left over to come. So they go from this place of need and fear to this place of abundance. And guess what they do? They gather again to praise the Lord. No matter what we're going through, the battle belongs to the Lord. No matter what's going on, Worship God. No matter how sad and, and no matter how strong or, or how, how powerful the enemies feel all around you, God will deliver you. Your job is to praise God and praise some more. So as this growing season, we've been saying, what, plants, right? They need water. They need nutrients. They need air, healthy soil. They need light. They need temperature, space, and time. And just like us, you know, the plants need to be fed. We need to be fed by God. We need to be breathed on by the Holy Spirit. We need to be surrounded by a healthy community that's building us up and equipping it and sending us out to shine our light. We need to be shined on by Jesus. And we need room and time to grow in love. But if we are going to be people of peace, 
I think Jehoshaphat's prayer and those four things can help us be people of peace that not only receive God's peace, but give it to our world around us. Remember, the first part of his prayer was just that. Remember who God is. If you're going to be a person of peace, never lose sight of who God is. He's still the God of the universe. He's the God of our ancestors, the God who's been faithful to generations, the God who rules over all kingdoms and nations. Power and might are in his hands. Remember who God is and then go and tell who God is to your world. The second one is recall God's resume. Never stop remembering or recalling what God has done. If we don't know what the future is, Give thanks if you remember what the past has been. And give thanks to everything that God has done. For Jehoshaphat, it was saying, you called Abraham. You declared us your people. You defeated these people and give the land as our possession. What has God done in your life? What can you hold on? How has God shown himself faithful to you? Because if we recall what God has done, that should give us peace, not just for today, but also for tomorrow. And the third one is recite God's promises. It's not just enough for us to know what God has promised, but we have to keep knowing it. Because there's going to be times where we feel lonely and God's promise that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's going to be times that we feel helpless and God's promise that I have sent the Holy Spirit to be your help. There's going to be times where the world feels out of control and we just don't know where anything's going. And God's going to need to remind us that all things work out for good for those who love me. Recite God's promises and recite it to yourself every single day if you need to. Write them down every single day if you need to. Recite them so that they're so on your heart that when these feelings of angst and despair come, you can stand on the promises of God. Recite God's promises. And if you're going to be a person of peace, you also have to teach God's promises. Teach them to the people in your life. Teach them to the people who you have any kind of relationship, whether it's acquaintances or, or, or best friends, whether it's spouses or co-workers or, or people you pass on the street. How can you teach God's promises? Not as only as something you hold on to, but something that you can share for them. And the last one is rest in God, your good shepherd. Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The world not just now, but always might feel out of control. Keep your eyes on God. He's in control. Your situation, no matter what it is, pandemic or not, financial or not, spiritual or not, family or not, personal or not, whatever situation you're in, remember God has saved someone from that situation. God perhaps even saved you before. Remember what he's done. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Rest in your good shepherd. Our world is full of brokenness. We as people are still broken, broken masterpieces. But let's remember God's faithfulness. Let's remember God's faithfulness who calls us his masterpieces. In a world of stress, in a world of worry, may God always be our good shepherd. For our good shepherd hears us. For our good shepherd knows us. For our good shepherd comes when we call. For our good shepherd protects us, provides for us, is always there for us. In a world of stress and worry, we can be people of peace. If we remember who God is, if we recall what God has done, if we recite God's promises, and if we're willing to rest in God, our good shepherd. Lord, we do not know what to do, 
but our eyes are always on you. God bless you. Your peace within us, Lord, will stand, surpassing all we understand. Even when fears surround our land, you fill our lives with peace. Salam, salam. The peace of God to every race. Salam, salam. The peace of God in every place. When walking we are led astray, your spirit in us lights the way to bring us back and guard our days. You fill our lives with peace. Salam, salam. The peace of God to every race. Salam, salam. The peace of God in every place. God's peace you offered us to live a peace the world can never give. And while your spirit in us lives, you fill our lives with peace. Salam, salam, the peace of God to every race. Salam, salam, the peace of God in every place. Salam, salam, the peace of God to every race. Salam, salam, the peace of God in every